Hey, everybody, this is Hayden, and you're getting ready to listen to the first of a two-part series where myself and Kirstie Miles talked to Leslie Todd, who is an ATP with New Motion, and we talked to him about mobility and equipment and the working relationship between an ATP and physical and occupational therapist, and the conversation was so great that we decided to divide this podcast into two. So you're getting ready to listen to part one of Equipment and Mobility with Leslie Todd. Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host. And today you're in for a treat because we have Leslie Todd and we have Kirstie Miles with us today. And we are talking about mobility equipment. And I'm very excited because as a speech therapist, I'm definitely a peripheral observer and usually like treating a child as you all are working with equipment over in a different area kind of deal. So I'm excited because I'm going to learn something new today. We've been working with Leslie for a very, very, very long time. You know, I know kind of how you, Leslie, work with us here at PDT and Kirstie and how that whole thing works, but I'm excited about sharing that with others because I feel like with you all, y'all know how to do it right. We know how to really provide the best thing for the kids and stuff. So I'm excited about this. So why don't we do this? Why don't we do introductions and everybody say a little bit about themselves? Leslie, why don't you start first? Okay. My name is Leslie Todd. I'm an assistive technology professional, an ATP. I've been in this industry for about 13 years, and I work with pediatrics on through adults. A lot of different facilities, clinics, school systems, a lot of different settings. Awesome. Okay, so Kirsty, a lot of people have listened to podcasts, I'm sure, with you on it because you've been in a lot of podcasts with me. So why don't you introduce yourself, Kirsty, and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do here at PDT. Kirsty Miles, I am a physical therapist and team lead with PDT. I've been with PDT for 11 years. Hayden and I both travel a lot, but I travel over to Fayetteville and to the clinic locations, Westgate, and then our contract sites, Rockingham, which is in Richmond County, mm-hmm. all the way to Hope County and to some of our sites in Moore County. So I think I have gone everywhere Leslie goes within our company. So as you and I were talking about driving, I bet Leslie's over there thinking, girls, uh-uh, you really are everywhere. Yeah, I cover quite a bit of territory, <laughs> uh, less so now than my earlier years. Mm-hmm. But I probably average about 2,500 miles a month, maybe. Really? Mm-hmm. So you work for New Motion? Yes, ma'am. And New Motion is a nationwide equipment company, but that's not right, is it? I know they're a national company. Yeah, they're a national company. And how New Motion came to be is so I used to work for a much smaller company, locally owned company. But as the funding environment changed, the reimbursement cuts for equipment and healthcare in general reduced and decreased, you had to find other organizations to partner with to be able to purchase the equipment at discounted rates and have a voice on Washington to. Mm-hmm. try to continue to do what we wanted to do, which mm-hmm. was provide support to you all and equipment to families in need. And at some point, the owner decided he wanted to retire, and he ended up selling the company. We were sold to a national company, which at the time was a really good thing, because now all of a sudden we had more of a voice in Washington, buying power as a group for volume. And literally about 10 days after we were sold to this national company, we merged with another national company. The two biggest players wow. in our industry merged, and together we became New Motion. So all these small local little moms and pops types of companies were slowly being purchased by the bigger groups. 
bigger groups became one group, and that's how we became nationwide. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense, though, because with equipment, I mean, just the funding is integral and just part of what you do. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. It's one of our biggest obstacles today. Yeah, I can imagine. And we're going to talk more about that as well. But you've been working with PDT or therapists from PDT now. It seems like, well, you've been doing it for 13 years, so it seems like I've been seeing you around for a very long time Yes, ma'am. I probably (laughs) would say it's been at least 10 of those 13 years, but maybe a little bit more. Yeah, because Kirstie, what do you think? Again, when I started and I took over for another therapist Mm -hmm. um, out at the CDC, she gave me a list of the (laughs) people that she had used. And so I tried them all. I went through and I did first piece of equipment with the one on the list. I went to the next part. I'm like, hey, next we're going to try this one. (laughs) Next we're going to try this one. And the company that Leslie worked for at the time was on that list. And so I just had different experiences with each one of those companies and obviously stayed with the one that I thought did the best job. Yeah. So from there, I was like, well, I'm going to call that one back because they did good that first go around. And then from there, it just continued. So what do you think it was? Because Leslie and his group of other people that work with him, y'all continuously work with us now. And I see you at all various places we work and with all kinds of equipment issues with kids and, and more than I even know about. But what was it that fit for you, Kirsty? I think the biggest thing for me is the collaboration and the opportunity to brainstorm on the spot and come up with ideas and solutions and then just have that collaboration Mm -hmm. like in the real moment and then just the teamwork it takes to get a piece of equipment funded is not like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's nice. We're going to meet and do the eval and here's what we want and there we're done. There's a lot of follow-up that happens, you know, working with New Motion and, you know, just ever since the beginning, they've always been great about their end of the paperwork and contacting the doctor and getting the authorization and they take care of all that. But as a therapist, we're still responsible for writing that letter of medical necessity for justification, which has gotten harder and much more stringent over the years, you know, where it was, we used to have to justify a wheelchair and, you know, the basic parts. Now we're having to justify each individual piece of the wheelchair down to the nuts and bolts. And so they become pretty tedious. But with working with the company, the follow-up and the follow-through has always been really good. And we can call and ask where we are at in the process and we get a response back. Anybody that we've worked with within New Motion has always been quick to get us an answer or Mm -hmm. quick to follow up with us to let us know what's happening with a certain piece of equipment. It just doesn't feel like the ball gets dropped. And I think that that's so important when we're working with these kids and families. So that collaboration word you said, because I think there's learning that happens. You know, Leslie, when you come in and Jeff is another guy that I see frequently this with mm-hmm. new motion and works with you a lot. I mean, you guys know you're the equipment specialist, you know, what's out there, you know, how these things work, you know, the whole deal, the ins and outs. So I think there's a certain amount of education that happens from you guys to us and then us back to y'all, but both it's a collaborative thing that happens, but you know, the equipment. And so like Kiersey said, you got to almost justify the nuts and bolts and stuff. So I think that collaboration piece she said is key in a good working relationship because we're not going to know what y'all know. Absolutely. I think it's the number one ingredient to having a successful outcome. And, you know, one of the things early on working with Kirstie was she was able to tell me, this is what I'm trying to achieve. This is what I think we want to try to do. And then I would come in not knowing the customer very well. You know, I'm only seeing them for a little snapshot in time. Right. But Kirstie had been working with the customer for a while, had a little bit of history with the family, knows the dynamics of 
you know, what's happening at the home, at school, and just basically what's going on with the family, what their needs might be today and in the future. And when I come in, I can say, yeah, we can do that with these pieces of equipment, or this is the experience that I've had in the field. I know this looks like it would work, but here's what families are telling me, or here's what our experience is over the long term. Mm-hmm. So as Kirsty was saying, it's a big problem solving. We're there to solve problems. There's no perfect solution, but Kirsty has a clinical brain mm-hmm. and I got the good working knowledge of the equipment and I have yeah. a basic understanding of, you know, anatomy and physiology and how it all works together. But I really rely on Kirsty to kind of help me and guide me. If I do this, what happens now? Can right. I do this? And mm-hmm. she says yes or no, or this is what happens. And we go, okay, yeah, we can make this work. And so through trial and error and a lot of communication, you know, we tended together to have good outcomes. And ultimately, the customer benefits from that. I mean, it does take a little more effort on the front end, but we find long-term, we were very successful that way. Yeah. And then the patient in turn ends up successful and what you want to have achieved is achieved. Yeah. And I'll tell you the other thing that was always challenging in any eval that we go to. So Kirsten, I I don't know why, but on the front end, she was not scared to challenge me. Ah. You know, well, why? She would say why, and I would have to answer the why, which was great because if I'm able to explain it, then she understands if it's going to work or not. The family understands, and we develop a trustworthy relationship that way. So then I could challenge her. Now, wait a minute. You know, if I do this, so it works out really good. So her ability to trust me and my ability to trust her and not be fearful of stepping on each other's toes, but we had just had a nice professional respect for each other, and I think that is key in any equipment supplier and therapist relationship. Yeah, you do have to build that trust. Absolutely. Because you're talking about, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. So with that being said, then how does someone who specializes, you know, Leslie, like you and the people you work with, best support a physical therapist? Like, how does that work? Well, I think from my perspective, I have to understand what you all are trying to achieve at an evaluation. So if I can understand what you're trying to achieve overall, the goals of the customer, you know, the long-term goals, short-term goals, I can then tailor my experience with you Mm. towards that. So whether you're an experienced clinician or a new graduate, Mm -hmm. I know how I need to communicate and explaining what options are, what this piece of equipment does, you know, what the limitations are, what the funding constraints are Mm. and those sorts of things. So I think the best way that an ATP can support a physical therapist is just understand what they're trying to achieve and communicate with them, be a resource for them. So the clinician needs to be comfortable asking questions because I'm certainly going to ask a lot of questions. And then setting them up for success by setting the stage of, hey, if you're after the long-term solution is you see them being an ambulator, for example, right? what's the best gait trainer today for them that may grow with them or be able to remove, you know, postural supports as they go. Here's the pros and cons of each. Here's the guidelines for funding something like this. So I'm setting the stage, not only today, but for the next foreseeable future. So we minimize any out-of-pocket expenses a family may incur and just choosing the right equipment for the right situation. So you need to look at today and then also the potential future plan. Yes, I need to understand because funding is not going to buy a gate trainer every six months. No. Depending on the funding source. And depending on whether the client has a change in medical status, usually it has to be pretty significant in order mm-hmm. to redo something. Right. You're at least a year. Yeah. And a lot of times it's two-year mark. And for each type of equipment, so power wheelchairs or manual wheelchairs, we're pushing that time frame even further out. So it's about a five-year mark. Wow. Yeah. So then, Kirsty, based on what Leslie's saying, what does a PT need to do to be ready so that that assessment that you're doing for the equipment, you can get the most out of that time? 
Sure. You know, like he was saying, we're the ones working with the child on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times a week. So we're the ones that are going, hey, here's what I hope to achieve with a piece of equipment. But really, we've already needed to have the conversation with the parent about, you know, kind of like a game plan. I mean, we don't want to bring in an equipment vendor and the parent never having heard the word wheelchair. Oh, yeah, no, that (laughs) Um, would be bad. I just think it's one of those things to be careful about because if I haven't communicated to the vendor that's coming in, hey, you know, this parent, they're not ready for a wheelchair yet. I think that's one thing that's always been really great about working with New Motion is we can call them and say, hey, can you bring demos with you? But if we've not had a conversation with the family about a potential for a wheelchair or, you know, what we think this is going to look like long-term, like Leslie was saying, we don't want to bring him into a scene that could potentially go south quickly. (laughs) And I think one of the things, Kirsty, to piggyback sort of on what you're saying is the real challenge for the pediatric population, the zero to three range especially, is that first piece of equipment. You clearly can see the need for you know a supportive device of some sort, a wheelchair, but a lot of times the families are not there emotionally. Physically, the need is there, but emotionally, the family and the caregivers, they're just not there. And it's really hard to make that first step. But we find if we tread lightly and are very respectful and understand that and really offer choices to the family on what their options are, we can get them on board. And we find that by doing it that way, their experience going forward is a lot better. Because I think one of the misconceptions about equipment, especially in the early intervention time frame, is... They think that the piece of equipment is going to make their child, you know, well, that's what's going to fix them. And I'm careful with how we communicate that and want to be sure that it's understood that this piece of equipment is not the end-all be-all. Right. It's a tool that you all can use mm-hmm. to manage your day-to-day activities in your environment, in the home, in the school, in the community, while you're working towards other goals or whatever your rehab goals are. So... I'm real careful. You all have always been real good about that. I always get a phone call from you all. Hey, here's who's coming in. This is what we know. This is, matter of fact, the last evaluation I did with you all, I got that phone call and said, you know, mom is at this point. She's not really sure yet. So I said, that's totally fine. So for me, what I would do is I typically would leave all my demos in the van and I'd come in and meet the family, kind of get a feel for the direction that we're going and then know whether or not it would be a good time to go back out to the van and bring the equipment in and introduce it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So there has to be a rapport established between the therapist and the family first. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Because for a lot of our little people that we work with, they sometimes don't have a diagnosis or while we're working with them, they're getting the diagnosis. Yes. And then that acceptance of that diagnosis can look very different for different families and then what you do with it and where you go and all that. Yeah. And and to add on to what you were saying too, the rapport that the therapist or clinician has with the family Mm -hmm. goes a long way. But also the dynamic between the equipment specialist and the therapist, you know, if I walk in the room and they don't really trust me, the therapist doesn't really trust me, don't really have a relationship with me, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to get everybody on board. Mm. It's just, it's a little dance that you do. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the better your rapport is and your trust without giving up, you know, I know where my line is in terms of my professional experience. I mean, I know a lot of stuff just because I've seen it all, sure. but it's not my place to be a therapist. So I think understanding those lines and communicating professionally amongst ourselves Mm -hmm. in front of the customer makes a tremendous difference in how confident they feel when they leave 
that I'm with the right people and I'm getting the best option for my family and my situation. What it says to me is you're talking, I'm hearing you, somebody's taking care of my child. Absolutely. Yeah, and helping them achieve whatever they're going to achieve, which is why we do what we do. And I think also another important thing about what you're saying, too, is also in real time. Your van can be full of equipment, and the therapist can tell you in advance, hey, I think it's going to go this way, but nobody really knows until you're in that situation. And so how you manage that can be very different because you ultimately want to get what is best for that child. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You can come in with a plan, but... Sometimes you got to chuck that plan out the window. (laughs) And that happens often. People see their friends have a certain piece of equipment or Uh they've seen it on TV and they think that's right for them. But once you dig in a little bit to the situation, you may yeah, it's a great piece of equipment. But with your circumstance, it's probably not the best fit or maybe it is. Mm -hmm. But that's what you decide together. Right. Yeah. So what types of people do you work with? Do you work with adults and pediatrics? I'm sure you do. Yes, Yes, ma'am, I do. Early on (laughs) in my career, we were primarily focused on pediatrics. So, but then as the company grew and as I grew, you know, you develop these relationships with the customers and they get older and they get older (laughs) and they get older. And as the environment has changed, the pediatric market is not where they always want us to spend some time. So I do a lot of adults, mostly in clinic settings is where I'm seeing my adults in my particular circumstance. So a lot of spinal cord injury, a lot of neuromuscular stuff, ALS, MS, traumatic injuries, not to mention the congenital stuff. So what's the biggest difference in working with an adult patient and a pediatric patient? (laughs) (laughs) How long do we have? (laughs) Actually, that's a great question. The biggest challenge in my experience is managing the family Ah. that goes along with it because of the emotional aspect of it and the trust factor. You know, I learned early on that if I could relate to a customer and they would feel comfortable that I would be making the same decision for my child or for my family member as I would for them, that we'd be good. And I always try to treat people that way because that's the way I would want to be talked to. I want to be the one that makes a decision if it's me. Yep. Yep. So I was just always sure that I explained, you know, options to families and that sort of thing. But other than the family, it's the different environments that the pediatrics are, you know, they grow. Mm. So you have to build growth into equipment. You have to consider that not so much as an adult. And you have to consider the different environments that they use the equipment in. School, home, community. They do lots of different things. They go lots of different places. Portability. Yeah. You know, and children, you know, there's usually a brother or sister or several brothers or sisters. Right. So how do we transport this piece of equipment? So it's a lot more complicated in the pediatric world. And there's typically a lot more pieces of equipment that it takes to do the day-to-day ADLs, if you will. Sure. Yes. Because it's also, like you said, ever-changing. Because they may be at one school this year. That doesn't mean they're going to be at the same school next year. Absolutely. And this year, the campus could be all flat and pretty and nice. And next year, there's like stairs everywhere. Yeah. And- <laughs> I think pediatrics is wonderful. I think it's more complicated, but not. So the more you get into it and the more you understand, it's a lot more fun. You can really make a difference in a kid's life. And to be quite frank, if you can do pediatrics, seating, and even treatment-wise, I don't want to speak for you as a therapist, but I would think that there's so much more going on (laughs) at a younger age Uh than it is at adult. I would think the transition is easier. I know in the equipment world it is. You know, I I can't hardly even speak to the adult world because I'm so ingrained in the pediatric world that I'm like, what? These people grow up? Who said? (laughs) When does that happen? (laughs) Yeah, so I'm just so like in my bubbles all peds that I'm thinking, what? But here's anything you want to say. So when we're talking about bringing in the demos and 
just having an opportunity for families to see because maybe some of them have never even been around equipment prior to their child needing a piece of equipment. When New Motion can bring us in some options and things to look at and touch and families can get a better sense of that, but maybe a family's not ready for a wheelchair. We had talked about more stroller options to begin with and the need for positioning, but then, you know, their child is approaching the age of three or maybe even four, and they're starting to have the potential to be able to move independently within their environment, which as a therapist, we're trying to get them mobile and as functional in their environment as they can do independently. But bringing in that other option that we think maybe it's not going to go so well, but maybe if they just see their child in there or bringing in that power mobility. And I know that we've worked with you guys on some power for some real little, little ones, even age three. And so just bringing in that option and being able to see their child do something that they might not have thought that they could do, that can create an impact and kind of put them on a new train of thought for what their child is able to do. And so I personally love when the demos can come in and families can try, or you get a family where, and we've had this happen, where the parent or the caregiver has a disability. And Mm. so now it's not just about the child, but this family now has to be able to move and transport the equipment. Mm. And can you take that apart? Can you get that in the car? And so I love having the hands-on abilities because like Leslie is saying, the family has to make the choice. And so we're just there to help guide them with the pros and the cons and what we're trying to achieve. And then, you know, having the options and having the support to know what pieces of equipment can and can't do, and ultimately what that family is going to need to best support them. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that you talked about taking into consideration, like maybe limitations of the parents or the caregivers. I hadn't thought about that, but that would be important, wouldn't it? To add on to what Kirstie is saying too, one of the best things about working in the pediatric world is everyone can relate to the first time they've seen their child ride the bike by themselves, Mm -hmm. the look on their face, I did it, I did it, Mm -hmm. or the first time they've done something by themselves. So everything changes in their world. All of a sudden, they got more confidence. All of a sudden, they see the world a little bit differently. And all of a sudden, the parents and their friends see them a little differently. Mm -hmm. So their whole world is changing Mm -hmm. in good ways. It's the same way with mobility equipment, whether it's gait training or a wheelchair, powered or manual. The world changes. All of a sudden, I can do this. I can go here when I want to go here. I can get my own crayons. I can go over here and get a snack or whatever the case may be. And like Kirsty was saying, sometimes having a demo just hanging around and you try, you know, when the time is right mm-hmm. and families see that, it totally can shift their thinking and get them prepared because they're not ready always emotionally. You know, like I was saying earlier, it's right. just, it's a tough transition. It was progression. Yeah. So do kids usually accept equipment better than maybe some of your adult patients? I wonder if that was a difference between the two of them. You know, if- Yeah, I would say, you know, for... Somebody who's had a traumatic injury as an adult, whether it's an automobile accident or something of that nature, that's a hard transition. Mm-hmm. And with hospital length of stays like they are, there's not always a long enough time to even begin the mourning process. Right. So it's a real challenge for an equipment vendor to come in and talk about the wheelchair and right. you know what's going to work today and what's going to not work. As far as the kids go, I think sometimes... When they're old enough to know what their friends are looking at them, the ones that are more cognitively aware, 
So there is some, well, I want this to look cool, so I want it to be painted this way. Or I used to have light-up wheels. I don't want light-up wheels anymore. (laughs) You know, right. Or I I want this, not this anymore. So, yeah, I think there can be some differences, but mostly I would say the people that have it experienced more congenital type disorders or from early on, they're more accepting of the equipment and they use it in their mind as this is my tool, this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then for those that have had something taken away suddenly, probably a little bit more difficult of the transition. Yeah, I can imagine. Because for us with the kids, we're like, oh, look what I get to do now because of this piece of equipment. I couldn't do it before. Right. Because you're speaking the speech therapist language when you're talking about, oh, now they can go get their own snack or their own crayons. Or now I can go over to that center and I couldn't go to that yeah. center before. So for the speech therapist, I'm like, bring it on. Because then that's like social pragmatics. And, yeah. But this is not about that. So I'll, <laughs> I'll do my speech therapy yeah. talk another day. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'll rein it back in. So then what are some of the obstacles when you're working with a pediatric patient versus an adult patient? Sometimes kids change dramatically in a short period of time, whether they grow just because mom and dad are six feet tall and all of a sudden little Susie is now really tall too. The type of equipment that we're doing for pediatric is usually custom built. So I like to equate it like shoes. You know, you can buy shoes big enough that they grow into, but guess what? They don't wear very well. They're uncomfortable and end up hurting your feet. So they're pretty much useless, right? Right. So it's the same idea behind a wheelchair or a piece of equipment. You have to build growth into it for a pediatric client, but you can't build too much because then it's too big and cumbersome and it doesn't really work like you intended and their experience with it is not very good. And all of a sudden they're frustrated and they don't want to do it. Mm. And families are the same way with the piece of equipment. It doesn't work like what we wanted. Or they could be on some medication, steroids or a tube feed. So the calories just keep coming on whether they're full or not. Right. So growth is probably the biggest obstacle with pediatrics. Funding today Mm. on equipment used to be probably about the time I started working with Kirstie, we could get a powered wheelchair base for a customer and then also a manual backup wheelchair. So if the power chair went down or they typically use it at the school system or in school setting and then at the home, but going to doctor's appointments and, you know, out in the community wasn't always feasible transporting the power chair, the seating could transfer from one base to the other. Today, that's not the case. So the challenge is families have to make a decision on whether they want to go power or manual Mm. if their child has the ability to do that. And it's a five-year decision. But today, insurance also doesn't like if you go power first and then say, yeah, that didn't really work. We want to go manual now because it's easier to transport. The reason why we got the power chair to begin with clinically is because they were more independent this way. They could do it. Mm -hmm. We eliminated the manual wheelchair for whatever the reasons may be, and we're here. But when we go backwards, it raises a lot of red flags. Mm. Yeah. The medical world has changed quite a bit, even since the start of PDT. You know, 18 years ago, there's a whole different landscape. So there's lots of different obstacles just that we have all the time about, you know, funding and documentation and the rules have all changed. So I can imagine the world of equipment there's some definite different hoops and things you have to jump through or whatever. What we have to figure out how to do is find the most clinically appropriate piece of equipment Right. that's cost efficient. So when we sit down and we talk about what piece of equipment work, we have to eliminate the most costly to get to what we need. Yeah, that's key right there. Okay, so if you're listening, pause and write that down and then turn back on. Because <laughs> so, that's key. So in doing that, then the working relationship between yourself and the physical therapist you work with, I'd like to hear from you and Kirsty both on this one about speak to that. It's not just a one time and done because really to do that, one visit can't really achieve what you just said, I wouldn't think. Not without you maybe not having the whole picture, the whole story. You know, maybe one visit can, but there's got to be some work. 
I think with the relationship that Kirsten and I had, we would have a lot of conversations before I'd actually get to the appointment. Right. So she would say, hey, I've explored these options and these. And, you know, at the particular place that she was at, we always had demos for her or she had some at the facility that was there, you know, that they owned. Mm -hmm. So she's able to try. And if we weren't able to make a decision when I got there based on what she has experienced and what we communicated on and what I brought, I would leave what I brought or go get something else. Right. And let them try it for a while. So there would be a trial period. So it's an ongoing relationship. For peds, yes. Yeah. <laughs> for adults, maybe it's not that way. Right. I would say adults usually can come right in. And sometimes there's a drawn out process when you have to try certain things. Mm. But a lot of times it's, I don't want to call it black and white, but it's either going to work or it's not. And our little pediatric people are all kinds of gray. Is that right? <laughs> you do have to turn, have to turn your brain on. That's right. Yeah, you do have to. So what about for you, Kirsty? Because when I'm with you a lot of times, she'll say, well, I just texted Jeff, and he said blah, 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 about all kinds of different things. But So describe the working relationship from a physical therapist perspective. Well, you know me, Hayden. I'm going to rely on my resources. Mm-hmm. And working with other people, that's a huge resource. And like I value having them as a resource. And so in order to get a child what they need and have the best thing for them, them, what Leslie was saying about like he would leave a demo with us and sometimes it would be three weeks or, you know, sometimes a couple of weeks. I mean, I'll take whatever I can get. And then I'm going to be like, okay, it's game on with that child. Let's try this piece of equipment. Let's exhaust it. Okay. We know that that didn't work. Okay. What else you got? Like, it's not like, oh, that didn't work. That was a nice try. That was a nice thought. Let's just end there. It's like, okay, there's got to be something else. Kirstie, do you find that you extrapolate a lot of your ideas about how a piece of equipment will work based on their performance on one particular model? If there is another brand out there that is similar? I guess when you're looking at pieces of equipment, how are you looking to eliminate, say, a posture control type walker versus a forward facing? Sure. So if something's not working, I'm looking at what is the child doing in it that's not working? And then I'm going to go back to my resources. (laughs) I'm going to call you up (laughs) and I'm going to say, hey, here's what the child is doing. Here's what I need them to be doing that I'm missing from this piece of equipment. What else can you send me? Yeah. Well, I love those phone calls because I can help that. Yeah. Yeah. So Kirsty, almost beyond anybody else I've ever worked with, will go to the ends of whatever. When she's working with a patient and there's a problem to solve, I've never met anybody that's as dogmatic almost as Kirsty is about finding the right thing, which is awesome. I mean, to be Kirsty's patient, awesome, because she's going to find an answer out to make it better. But woe be it to the poor equipment vendor <laughs> who may be on Kirsty's <laughs> list if that's not a good thing for you, because, which I mean that is always a positive thing, because a lot of times I'll make a joke at PET about, oh my gosh, if I get on Kirsty's list, like, oh. <laughs> I love how resource she is because I don't get up in the morning and go, how can I not be successful today, right? I get up in the morning and go, how can I do a good job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you're working with somebody who's resourceful and says, hey, here's what I'm looking for. Right. You're giving me enough information to help you. And I love that. I'm glad to be of help. You know, it makes you feel small sometimes. Like, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) But no, I mean, listen, I'm a big boy. I would love to work with that type of therapist all the time. Because people get better. Absolutely. It's so exciting because then people get better and that's what we do. So that was part one. And as you can tell, the conversation just kept going. So we decided to split it into two podcasts. So tune in next time to part two of Equipment and Mobility with Leslie Todd. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. 
you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 